Welcome to The Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of Survive to Thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello and welcome back to Rural Rockstars. Today's episode is an interview with Anika Molesworth. Now, Anika is someone who I've followed for a long time now and I'm a bit of a fangirl, I have to say. And I knew when I was creating this podcast, I've had this podcast in my mind for a long time, as you know, and I always knew that I wanted her to be my first guest. So it is so special and so awesome that I'm able to talk to her um, and share this interview with you. I think there's so much gold in it. Uh, Just to share a little bit about Anika, so you've got a bit of background. She's a, a farmer, a climate change activist, and she's an advocate for sustainable farming and environmental connection. She's helped create, or she actually helped form Farmers for Climate Action. She was one of the 30 farmers that started Farmers for Climate Action five years ago. She's also the founder of Climate Wise Agriculture, and she talks about all of this in the interview, which is awesome. She was New South Wales Farmer of the Year and a finalist in the Young Australian of the Year in 2017. She's a change maker, a leader, and a rural rock star for sure. She is leading the way and so inspiring. And in this interview, we hear how she's managed to find her voice, why she wanted to speak up on climate change and how she's, you know, come to be in this position of leadership and advocacy. And she also shares with us some of the challenges that she's faced and how she's overcome those challenges and gives some really great advice for anyone who's aspiring to step up and show leadership and who, you know, might be struggling with worrying about being criticised or how they can do it. And it's just gold. And I could have talked to her all day and I'm sure we will have many more conversations, but I'm just so glad to be able to share this chat with you. So without further ado, let's get on with the episode. So hello and welcome back. Today I'm joined by Anika Molesworth, which is super exciting because I'm a massive fan of Anika's and I've been fangirling over her for a long time. So thank you so much for joining me today, Anika. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait for this chat. I know, me too. I'm really super excited. Now, just a little heads up in the background, there might be a tractor going, so if you can hear a bit of background noise, that's at my end, because we're both sitting on our farms today, actually, as we record from via Zoom, so which is super lovely. And I thought we'd just start by getting you to tell us a little bit about your backstory, Nika, and how you got to be where you are today, which is as you sit right now, you're on your farm at Broken Hill. Is that right? So tell us yep, about the right. journey to being back on the farm at Broken Hill. Whew, yeah, where do you <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I live in a very beautiful part of the country, far western New South Wales, near Broken Hill, Willakali land. And I came here when I was 12 years old. My parents purchased our Outback Sheep Station in the year 2000. We were all in Melbourne prior to that, that date. and. 
you know, fell in love with the spaces here, you know, those endless horizons, the ruby red sands, the sapphire blue skies, the, the wildlife, you know, as a young kid, like seeing kangaroos, emus marching across the landscape, having horses in, in the paddock, canoes on the dam, like an incredible playground. So we all, my whole family, we fell in love with this place and we started, you know, think, you know designing like what our future was going to be out here. Um, how could we grow f- food? How could we have the privilege of growing food from this landscape for, you know, people in our community in the country? Um, so it was a very exciting time. But as you might recall, the year 2000 was the start of the decade-long millennium drought. And so our introduction to agriculture was 10 years of little to no rainfall. And you know, you live very closely with the natural world. You see, okay, less rainfalls falling, the dams are evaporating, the grasses have disappeared, we're going to have to sell those sheep, um, you know, people are leaving town. It, it sort of hit us very quickly right from the beginning of, okay, the farming game is a pretty serious thing to uh, get involved with and, you know, it impacts so much of your life it impacts you know your landscape that you're there to look after it impacts your mental health you know you start feeling anxious about you know where is the rain when is it going to fall you start seeing people leaving town and you you feel sorry for people packing up shop and selling out and that really sparked my interest in okay well as someone who wants to take on the family farm um you know what skills do I need? What what do I need to know? And I started learning more and more about the drought, about, you know, the environment, about the climate and climate change. You know, it's the projections, the science telling us that it's become, going to become hotter and drier, that droughts would become more frequent, more intense. And that started to alarm me a bit. Um because I could see, you know, out the bedroom window how bad this drought was. And the, the projections are saying that these are going to become more extreme, more frequent um, events. Like what hope does someone like me, you know, the next generation of food producer have? And so I said about learning everything I possibly could about climate change, how to best manage the landscape, how to ensure, you know, resilient rural communities. Um, and that led into, you know, a Bachelor of Science in Agribusiness, a Master's in Sustainable Agriculture, a PhD in Environmental Management and Climate. So a long time in university. I, um, I think I'm a, a lifelong learner. Uh, <laughs> I have a real <laughs> thirst for knowledge. Um, it also took me right around the world too. I started doing projects in Southeast Asia, um, working with groups in Argentina, And although these farmers, you know, vastly different parts of the country, uh, parts of the world, sorry, different cultures, different um, climate conditions, different environments, they were all feeling the same challenges. You know, the rainfall is becoming more erratic. The temperatures aren't like we used to know them. The seasons are all out of play. How are we going to feed a rapidly growing global population in a climate challenged world? And so the, I guess, you know, this, this question, this very big question, and I don't know if there is any other larger question than that, um, 
sort of, I guess, became a bit of my obsession. And it's something that I, I spring out of bed every day to work on, to, to try and understand, to, to ensure that I'm managing our farm the best way possible, to ensure the best um, possible future for our rural communities here in Australia and, you know, farmers at large, food security at a global scale. And it's all very much interlinked. Um, so that's probably a bit of a <laughs> rough overview of who I am and what I do. Oh, my God, I love it. So much passion and just so many questions. But first of all, I have to ask, why did your parents choose Broken Hill from Melbourne? Like, was there a connection there or what took them to Broken yeah. Hill? <laughs> so my mum spent a bit of her childhood in Broken Hill. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of a, a family holiday back to see where mum grew up. And um, the series of events, we ended up, yeah, loving the place and buying a property out here so a bit of a contrast from melbourne life for sure but um if you ever get the chance to visit the far west of new south wales it's a it's a harsh land but my god it's beautiful Mm, yeah absolutely and so what then like when was it that you sort of started to i guess because you're a real climate change advocate now and you very much very have a very high profile and all that sort of things but when was it that you really started to sort of speak up about and how did you know that you wanted to be more public about it, I guess? Was it during your time at uni or when did that sort of come about? That, or did you just, how did you get into this role of advocacy and, and being a leader in this space? Yeah, it was during university because I was learning this stuff. You know, I was reading academic journals. Um, I was doing projects on this, submitting the, this research. And I kept on like doing Google searches of, you know, climate change in Australia or, um, you know, how to be more prepared for climate impacts, you know, in Broken Hill or whatever. And I was really struggling to find good information or, you know, I was reading articles that were like, you know, is climate change real? And, you know, we've got an MP over here saying the, the rubbish, that the, the science is rubbish. That, and I was like, God, this is, this is so confusing. Like what I'm learning in university, it seems pretty obvious what the science is saying. What I'm hearing in, you know, the general public, uh, reading in, you know, newspapers, it sounds like there's a huge debate, that there's huge uncertainty whether climate change even exists. And that was really concerning to me. Um, so I set up a, a channel called Climate Wise Agriculture. And first it was just a Facebook page. And I thought, okay, well, if I come across an interesting article <clears throat> or a group that's doing something really cool, I'm just going to post it up there. And I'm just going to share, you know, current credible information on this topic mm-hmm. for someone like me who wants to know a bit but is like totally confused and lost in, <laughs> in the info. <laughs> Um, and so climate-wise agriculture, then, you know, I developed a, a Twitter site, a, a Insta a website, and I still started sharing more information. I then started running seminars in Broken Hill and, you know, packing out a room with 100 people who were interested in this topic, uh, being invited to do webinars, to talk to land care groups, to talk to um, country women association meetings. And I was like, oh, wow, like people are actually really interested in this and are also struggling to find this information. Um, I joined a few farming groups, uh, one in particular, the Young Farming Champions. Um, It's a national group of young people working in agriculture and rural Australia, and it's about how do you upskill these people so they can share their story better. 
And I got involved with this group and they gave me training on how to talk to the media, um, how to do a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation with the knowledge you want to share. And that was a really amazing program for me to like build some really foundational skills of how to communicate what I'm trying to communicate, who's the audience I'm trying to reach. Uh, about five years ago, a group of 30 farmers then met in the Blue Mountains and we had a conversation that, okay, well, climate change is, is impacting us now. It's impacting our businesses, our environments. We don't feel like political representatives are actually representing us properly. We still feel like um, the narrative in mainstream media, it's portraying farmers as conservative, anti-climate, all of these things. Um, and we feel like there's a real lack of new information in our regions, um, that we're not connected to the researchers like we need to be. And so from that meeting five years ago, Farmers for Climate Action was born. And fast forward to today, we have over 5,000 farming members here in Australia. And, you know, we, we are using our that incredible network that's that skills that knowledge that is in, incorporated in farmers for climate action to amplify this message to make sure that you know good stories are actually getting into the newspapers and onto radios you know climate change is bad we're feeling it today but there are all these opportunities as well mm -hmm. and so that's the formation of farmers for climate action and being surrounded by so many incredible people um, has really encouraged and supported me to become more and more vocal on this issue and, I guess, yeah, as you say, sort of become a, an advocate for greater climate action. Oh, I love that. It's so incredible. And, you know, 5,000 farmers, the other day I was talking to um, like a consultant and he said, you know, they, they always say that there's 100,000 farmers, but he said it's actually more like only 20,000 farmers. A lot of those farmers are kind of, you know, small or not really viable farming enterprises as such. So that's a quarter of the farmers that you've got. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's so awesome and I love that. And it's, you know, because I think that, I mean, what do you say to, like, if I look around my community, it feels like there's still quite a, a lot of climate change scepticism. I mean, and I don't know, like, it's, I don't know, I don't speak to everybody and I don't know how broad that is, but sometimes some of the things that are said publicly and that seems like there's still a bit of scepticism, but... I mean, it sounds like in your experience, like most farmers are just like, you know, what can we do about this? We need to get on board with it. What are the opportunities? Is that, has that been your experience that a lot, of, a lot of farmers really are, yeah, like what can we do? Yeah, sure. And I think that goes back to what I was initially saying in that for way too long in Australia, there was just so much confusion yeah. um, in the, the public discourse about climate change. There was so much allowance for words like, um, you know, disbelief, um, debates, um, you know, the climate science is solid. It has been solid for decades. Mm. But, you know, as long as we have high-profile people or people with, you know, megaphones in front of their mouths saying that there is debate, that there is uncertainty, that the, that the science isn't in, um, you know, of course people become confused. Mm. I also think because, you know, farming is a tough gig to be told that, okay, the temperatures are, are rising, that there will be less rainfall, that there will be less river inflows. That's a hard pill to swallow mm -hmm. unless you have, you know, some really good strategies on how you're going to get out of this mess. Yeah. 
Mm. And so that's what we need. That's, you know, the narrative that we need to change now is, yeah, it, it's bad. I mean, we can all <laughs> feel that today. Um, but what we need to be, you know, keeping front of mind is like there's a hell of a lot of opportunities out there which will improve the agricultural sector, which will benefit rural communities, and they are just waiting to be tapped into and, you know, the longer we delay on climate action, um, we're missing amazing opportunities to actually ensure a vibrant, productive farming future. Oh, I 100% agree with you. And I see so many um, correlations with, and it's linked to, is, is with the Murray-Darling Basin Plan because, you know, that's sort of seen as like a lot of people still try to work. Well, in this community, I don't know how broadly that is, but there's a lot of sort of push to still, you know, stop the plan, pause the plan, can the plan. Like there's still a lot of that talk. But really, I always feel like we are really missing the opportunities then for how can we, you know, because actually climate change is coming, so we have to have this plan. We've got to manage our river systems better. Sure, it's not great, but, like, what are the opportunities? And I think while we're focusing so much on, like, going backwards and looking back and how can we stop this, it's like you say, we're missing on all these incredible opportunities and how can we capitalise them. So I just love your work because I think it's so powerful because it doesn't have to be completely doom and gloom does it like there are all these things that we can do and and you must be um finding that so you know what have you found and like tell us about you went to antarctica is that right was that part of some homeward the homeward bound program yeah. and how was that and so learnings from that like was that just incredible yeah okay so homeward bounds um yeah is a, a program that is it's actually based out of melbourne but it's a global program and it's to improve leadership of women involved in stem and stem is science technology engineering mathematics and medicine and the homeward bound program has an ultimate goal of improving our planet mm -hmm. it's it's catch line is mother nature needs her daughters so how do we bring together um, all these incredible women from around the world who have backgrounds in STEM, who are interested in global sustainability, who are interested in stepping up to the really big challenges this world faces and to be part of the solutions? And it's a 12-month program which is, um, you know, looks at your own uh, you know, personal visibility, your leadership skills, um, how do you bring your, your science or your, your expertise into policy-making decisions to get more transformative change. The 12-month program culminates in a three-week trip to Antarctica. Yeah. And we go to Antarctica because, you know, there's no more extreme landscape on the planet. There is no more untouched landscape on the planet and there is no more fragile landscape on the planet. Like this is a, a place of, you know, indescribable beauty. Um, you know, I would wake up and look over the balcony of the ship and there are humpback whales, there are, there are penguins floating by on icebergs. Um, you, you get off for a trek on a glacier and there's, you know, Weddell seals and sea lions flopping about just doing their thing. And, you know, they totally ignore you as a human because, you know, they don't care <laughs> who you are. <laughs> what are you even doing here? <laughs> yeah. This is their home. This is their wilderness and it is pristine and it is incredible. The poles, like Antarctica, are in increasing temperature at double the global rate. Mm -hmm. So it is becoming so hot so quickly there 
uh, that obviously the, the glaciers are melting, the sea ice is being lost. The foundations of the food web of, um, you know, the global temperature system, the ocean currents, it all comes from the poles you know, the, the krill that feed off the phytoplankton. That happens in Antarctica. Um, you know, those krill feed the fish, which feed the seals, which feed, you know, the everything. Um, and so when these, these global systems start to break apart, you know, even though Antarctica is at, literally at the end of the world, it is having global impacts to us here in Australia. Mm. So... I went to an Antarctica and I was, you know, amazed at the beauty of this place. Um, you know, what incredible, how incredibly fortunate I was to see pristine wilderness as it should be. But then to learn about how quickly it is changing um, from our impacts as people, you know, thousands and thousands of kilometres away, that, you know, when we burn fossil fuels like that is having very real impact here in antarctica where it shouldn't be mm. and so yeah it was sort of heartbreaking also to actually see okay well you know at the end of the world like this is this is changing and it's not changing in a good way and we we need to do something about it because this is our responsibility mm. we can't just pretend these places don't exist that we have nothing to do with them that it's not going to have any consequence because that's rubbish mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot to take on. And this is part of the climate change story and dilemma too. It's like it's the enormity and the complexity of the problem, but then moving away from how easy it is to feel daunted and overwhelmed to a place where you feel like, okay, I have agency and I can do something about this. Mm. So, so from the Homewood Homeward Bounds experience and all, all your experience so far and, and forming all these networks and everything, what, what are some of the opportunities, I guess, that you see? I mean, you know, like, it'd be great to hear some of those. I mean, do you have a clear idea of what the opportunities are or is it still really that kind of working towards them? Or it'd be great to hear if you've got any thoughts on that, I think. Yeah. So uh, this is where I, I love focusing my attention on, Absolutely. like, the future. <laughs> right. I love it too. <laughs> Um, and I think it's so important, and this is how we're going to actually tackle the big problems of our time, if we have a better vision, if we can articulate a world that we want to see, if we can actually describe a narrative of, like, this is the benefit, this is, you know, the beauty of it, this is, you know, how good it's going to get. Mm. And people get inspired and go, wow, okay, I'm going to work out what I can do in my own life to get to that vision because now I can see it in my mind's eye. So I think, yeah, having a vision, articulating a vision and sharing it is incredibly important. We shouldn't dwell too much on the doom and gloom because you end up, you know, lying in fetal position in the bed and that doesn't help anything. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah, no. On so many levels that's just not helpful really, is it, at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. And I also think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Like we all want a, a stable community. We want a beautiful environment we can play in. We want healthy, abundant food to feed our family. We want a happy family. We want job security. Mm-hmm. So if we all want the same thing. You know, how do we create that? Yeah. And part of this narrative is, okay, well, 
at the moment, all of those things, your job security, the healthy environment, the food security, um, community stability, they are all being threatened. They are all being degraded by the way we are acting as a society, by the way we are treating our planet. And we all should feel uncomfortable with that. We should feel unsettled. Mm. And then, okay, if we all want better for those things, what does that mean? So, okay, better environment. Well, uh, we should stop burning fossil fuels because we know that's pumping, you know, unspeakably damaging fossil fuels pollution into our atmosphere, which is destabilizing the climate system. We can easily transition away from fossil fuels. We have the technology. We have the know-how. We are also the sunniest and one of the windiest continents on Earth. Our chief climate scientist has said repeatedly we can be exporting renewable energy um, because we could produce so much here in Australia. Well, that to me is a win-win. That's, you know, a booming economy. That's job creation. That's jobs of the future, meaningful jobs. That's better for the environment. Where, where would we set up wind turbines and solar panels? Well, farmers, we have extent, expansive parcels of land. Um, what have we put them there? That would give farmers secondary and stable sources of income. We have long-grown food and fibre. Why don't we grow some energy as well? You know, that actually gives us a, an additional income stream which would help us ride out the rough times like the drought. Um, there's so much. There's, you know, it's not just when we think of farming. I mean, I think we need to be more creative about what the future of farming is, what agriculture is. It's, it shouldn't just be confined to sheep and beef production. Like, we should be looking at native bush foods and going, okay, well, they're well-suited to our climates and well-suited to our soils. Let's bring in, you know, this incredible Indigenous knowledge that we have in our country and work out, okay, well, we have this abundance of food on our doorsteps, in our paddocks of nutrient-dense, you know, incredible species which no one in the country is currently eating. Um, what a missed opportunity. What delightful flavours and tastes are we not even experiencing yet? I mean, that's, that's exciting. So there, there are so many opportunities there. And I mean, I could talk all day about, um, you know, incorporating, you know, better research and science, like understanding how this world operates, how we can do it, you know, better for the future, um, having better research projects on farms, learning from farmers, because we are, you know, we're all exper experimenting every day with how to better manage our soils, our water resources, how to grow crops better. How do we feed that information back into university systems? How do we, you know, get more, um, you know, brilliant tech-minded people, innovative people to come out and, like, meet farmers, learn from them? How do we then bring that science into policy to make sure that all policy decisions are evidence-based, that they are robust, that they are forward-looking, that they are capturing every possible opportunity we can imagine? Like, that's a policy, that, that's, you know, um, uh, yeah, a policy system that I want to see in place. Mm. So there's, there's changes right along the way. Mm. Oh, just, I love listening to you speaking about that. So, so passionate. And I, and I want to get into some of the, your personal story and like to, to share sort of how you've coped with being a leader and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, so as a farmer, if I want to get 
more involved with this stuff. I have joined um, Farmers for Climate Action. But is that sort of the best way if there's people listening and think, oh, gosh, well, I, I want to know more about this and I want to do more and this, this all sounds wonderful, is, would that be the best way for us to start getting involved, is to join Farmers for Climate Action and connect in that way? Yeah, so Farmers for Climate Action is a fantastic organisation. I mean, they are on all the social media channels, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, are constantly posting on upcoming webinars. Uh, you know, this is the latest policy information. This is the latest, you know, newspaper article. So if you want to be kept up to date, um, yeah, follow them. If you go on their website, they have great resources there. They, ha you know, upload the webinars. Um, they they run masterclasses, like intensive masterclasses to learn about, okay, well, what does climate change actually mean for our region, for our industry? Awesome. But also, I mean, there there are so many different ag bodies in Australia. There's, you know, the, the grains groups, the, the cotton groups, meat and livestock, New South Wales farmers, big farmers, you know, <laughs> more farmer groups than you can poke a stick at. Um, I would also say, you know, get involved with them and actually ask them, okay, well, you know, what does this, what, what does climate change mean for this industry or this sector? Mm. Um, how can we learn more? How can we improve, um, you know, cotton under higher temperatures or, you know, what are the temperature thresholds for beef cattle in Queensland? Things like that. I think it's about us who are involved in ag, you know, being part of these groups and actually asking these leading questions about, okay, well, I want to know more about this topic. This is a really important topic for me, for my community, for my sector. And encouraging these groups to have more conversations about this. So mm -hmm. it shouldn't just be farmers for climate action who are delivering webinars on, on this stuff. All, all of the industry groups in agriculture should be delivering webinars and training, um, you know, masterclasses, um, presenting on these topics at conferences. Mm. Yeah, I see National Farmers doing a lot more, like they've been working with Farmers for Climate Action, I see, and all that kind of stuff. So there is that more happening. So it's obviously happening at that farmer body level, but maybe still not quite happening at that higher level enough, is it? Anyway, you've got to apply that pressure, I guess, too. Yeah, exactly. And so, okay, so farmers in Australia, we make up less than 1% of the population, but we provide you know, 93% of the food that's consumed here. So mm. there's not a lot of us, but we're doing a hell of a good job mm. of what we do. And because there's not a lot of us, yeah, it's natural that our voice is not heard as much, that we don't get as many stories in, you know, urban newspapers mm. and radio stations and things like that. And I think it's incredibly important for us to actually find our voice, to find our confidence to go, well, you know, food security is a pretty important issue for, for everyone. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to extend myself. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and actually do a radio interview. I'm going to write a letter to the editor. I'm actually going to call my MP and say, hey, like the drought is still really bad. The science is telling me it's going to get worse. What are we going to do about it? Seriously. Oh, and so I think, yeah, I think it's about all of us actually finding our voice and making sure these discussions don't just stay within agriculture. Like this is all of society is involved in the food system. So we need to include them all. Absolutely. And, and so finding your voice is, is what this podcast is, is really all about. It's empowering rural women to be able to, you know, have a good foundation of well-being so that they can step up and share their voices more because it does take 
like it is hard to do that. So that's something I wanted to get into with you is how have you found it and how have you learnt to, have you always been good at, you know, speaking or was that something that you had to learn and how have you found like stepping up into this leadership space because you speak so beautifully I mean, you've done TED Talks, you've done all sorts of things. So how hard was that when you got started and how did you do it? <laughs> yeah, really hard. I'm naturally a very private and introverted person. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I suspect a lot of people in ag are. I mean, we live in isolated places and hang out with sheep for a reason perhaps. Like... <laughs> They don't talk back. We don't have to yeah. talk to them. We can talk to them, but, you know, yep, definitely. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I also, you know, I never liked drawing attention to myself. So when I started Climate Wise Agriculture and started putting the science out there, I was very much, you know, this here is a graph. You know, this is what the science is saying. Um, this is what it means for, you know, the, the sheep industry. And I, I always left myself out of that story because, yeah. you know, it, why was I important? Like, we're talking about the, the global climate system. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's more important than me. Um, and as I started to, like, find my voice talking about climate science, uh, you know, more interviewers would say, oh, so what does that mean to you? Like, what's your future look like? How's it taking a, a toll on your mental health? What, what's it like for your family to cope with the drought? And I was repeatedly being asked personal questions. And although initially, like, I shied away, like, I didn't want to include that. I didn't want to even, like, submit a photo of myself to a newspaper. Like, I would, I'd send them a landscape shot of the paddock. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned over time that people connect with people. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the essence. They, they want to hear a, a true, honest story from someone. They actually want to build an emotional connection. They, they want to hear what it's like for me personally to live through the drought. They want to hear, um, yeah, what my vision is and why is that my vision? And I've learned over time, okay, well, I can't let modesty get in the way of making an impact if it means I have to put myself out there and be visible and be vulnerable with that, then I will do that. And I can do that because I know what my core values are. I know what I will not walk past. And I will not walk past seeing my farm deteriorate in dust storms. I will not walk past seeing, you know, the the rise in depression in my rural community. Um, I will do everything I can in my power with my time and my day to prevent those things from happening. And, of course, you talk about climate change on social media. You talk about anything on social media. You attract people who don't see the world as you do. And they don't see it for various reasons, and that's fine. And, yeah, I've copped criticism. Um, I cop criticism all the time still. Um, you know, I put out a petition with Farmers for Climate Action calling for net zero emissions. Um, and, you know, you, you get those comments on, on the website or on Facebook, you know, saying imbecile or, you know, you're not part of the, the farming community or this is an imposter. You get those things. But... You have to go, well, okay, well, I can dwell on it and feel crumpled and defeated and not 
do the next thing I need to do, or I can just push those things aside and go, well, I'm not going to stand for worsening drought conditions out here. I will not stand for seeing my sheep suffering in extreme high temperatures anymore. I'm going to do everything I can to look after those things that, you know, are my core values. Oh, that's so much good stuff in that. And I, I just love, so, cause you know, we've talked before, I, I actually rang you for advice because I had a, a challenging experience where I got heavily criticized in my community for speaking up about, you know, saying that we basically need to accept the Murray Basin Plan and moving forward. And when I was criticised, it really, it did really cripple me. And I was just like, I just wasn't ready for it. And I was like, whoa, I just, it really hit me. And I ended up having to sort of go back and like sort of, you know, get off social media and resign from the group that I was on and really take a step back and do a lot of the self-work again, I think, and sort of reassess and, and really think about, well, what are my values? And all that kind of stuff. And I think that's so important what you said there is that you have obviously got that really clear, really strong, you know, we've got the vision and you've got a really good sense of your values and that's what holds you strong. And then you're able to not listen to those critics and just mm-hmm. push it aside because you're so firm on what your values are. And I, So I see that as obviously that's been really important to you. Yeah, and look, saying that too, like I'm definitely not bulletproof. I mean, I I do cry sometimes when I just feel like totally bombarded and I think, oh, you know, there's there's so many critics out there. And like you, I go, okay, well, I'm 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 turning this stuff off. I'm just gonna unplug myself from the screen and I'm just gonna go camping for a couple of days and and reconnect with nature and you know and listen to the bird song and reconnect with okay, well, what am I actually fighting for? And I think you do have to at times like step away and like get everything in perspective and yeah. Okay. Um, angry farmer, Joe blow criticism, like was a bit of a burn, but <laughs> I've, I've also got, you know, I've also got a hundred comments of support yeah. and love there. And, you know, they're the people that I'm, I'm going to fight for. They're the people that I should be like drawing their energy from. Um, so we, we definitely have to learn to turn down those critics because, honestly, there's not that many out there, but for some reason we do dwell on it when, <laughs> when, when the shots do get fired. Yes, well, it's our negativity bias, isn't it? Like our brain's wired to, like, respond to the fear and the threatening things more quickly than all the positive things. So, yeah, as you say, you can have 90 fabulous comments, yeah. even two, two negative ones, and that's what you'll focus on. That's what our brain draws us to to try and keep us safe. So, yeah, it's, it is definitely very challenging. But, I mean, I guess one thing that I really realised last year during this experience was just that real importance of, you know, self-compassion, knowing yourself. It's all the Brene Brown work that's really helped me so much is that real sense of, you know, you've got to have that foundation of good well-being and really knowing yourself. So I love that you talked about there that you just turn it off and you went out camping and I love that. It just mm-hmm. That's just beautiful. And have you got any other like well-being practices that are, you know, is well-being part of your daily routine or is it, you know, what else do you do to kind of keep that well-being up? Because as you say, you're in the limelight a lot, you're very busy and you would be getting this stuff a lot. So what else do you do to maintain that good well-being? Yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious of trying to, yeah, preserve my well-being and resilience because I know, you know, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. I I want to be here for the long run. I want to still be working on, um, you know, ensuring a, a vibrant, productive farming future in 20, 30 years. And so, well, how am I going to do that? 
So various things. I mean, every morning I go for a beautiful dawn walk with my dog and it's peaceful. Mm. It's lovely. And I just get my thoughts in order for the day of what I'm going to work on, um, what the priorities are. Um, I am very, I guess, (laughs) I can get stuck at the computer screen all day, as most of us do these days too. And so I'm very conscious that, okay, well, come four o'clock, I'm, I'm off the computer and I'm, I'm with my family, whether it's helping mum cook dinner or whether it's, you know, out in the shed with my fiancé, just like helping hand him spanners and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just doing other stuff, odd jobs. And I also make sure like on my to-do list, like I've got my work things there, but I've also got like other stuff. It's like, you know, write write a letter to grandma, give, you know, so-and-so my friend a call and, you know, make sure those things are breaking up my day. Oh, it's beautiful. I love those. Yeah, and the switching off. I know you've just been out for two, was it two weeks you've been camping for? Like completely off the grid? Yeah, it was beautiful. Oh, yeah, and I mean, that is just so good for the soul, isn't it? So I'm sure you absolutely need that. So that's wonderful. So um, what do you think would be your advice to, or have you got any advice for someone who's kind of wanting to, if, that they're passionate about something or they, you know, they feel compelled to be talking about something that's maybe controversial or it's polarising or like you, you have such a beautiful way of doing it and you've already spoken about having that vision is really important and, you know, values. And Is there any other advice that you would give to someone who's wanting to kind of put themselves out there and, you know, share their voice? Yeah. Uh, look, I think surround yourself with good people. Um, good one. So, like, I, I have a, a note in my, my notebook, my, a page in my notebook um, where I've got my personal board. And I've written down all the people that I want in my life. I want cheerleaders. I also want critics. I want mentors. Um, you know, I want people to help me with with social media content who I've got a list of about 30 people, <laughs> 30 positions on my personal board. Love it. And then, yeah. And then I've sort of like put names against some of these positions. Um, like say I want, you know, someone on my personal board to do with like outreach. And then I might like put your name, Katrina, like there. And I won't tell you that you're on my personal board, but I've got your name there in my book. Like, okay, if I ever need someone to help with such and such, these are people I know who are are solid, who are my go-to team. And it's kind of reassuring to know that, okay, in my notebook, I actually do have a, a whole group of names of like awesome people that I know. And maybe I've never actually met them in person. Maybe I've only met, you know, had a conversation or maybe I've just seen them on, you know, a, a TV channel. I go, wow, that's a, that's a cool person. And if I ever need to uh, tap into that skill or expertise, I'm going to shoot that person a, an email or I'm going to look at what they're doing on Instagram, how they're telling their story. So I think it's about identifying yeah, good people who you can learn from um, and who can help amplify what you're doing and encourage and ena- enable what you're doing. So, yeah, that's probably the main um, I think that's, you know, again, when in, in my experience, like when I went through my challenging period, a, a couple of good friends said to me, you know, right yours is an extension of that, but it was like write down a list of all the people whose opinions matter, you know, and yeah. and then just forget everybody else, think about the people that matter and forget everybody else. But I love that one because 
I think the 30 people too, it's that really reaffirming. So if you do have those times when you're feeling overwhelmed or people are criticising, you can go back and say, well, hang on, there's all of these people who align with what I'm saying and who support me and, you know, all of that. So I think that's, yeah, that's a wonderful tip actually for people. I think it's also about avoiding overwhelm because I think too often we think, you know, I have to know everything. I have to do everything. And no one can do it at all. No one can know it all. And, you know, writing down, you know, my list of, you know, people who are really good at social media, like it sort of goes, okay, well, I can lift that burden off myself that, you know, potentially I'm not an expert on social media, but, you know, this person is really good at it. So I'm going to like tap into their knowledge. It's about, yeah. And I think it goes um, back to like, you know, that sense of, you know, climate change environments, like rural issues. These are, these are really big complex issues and you can't do it all. You can't save the world single handedly. And it's working out, okay, well, what small contribution can you make? And, you know, for me, it's working out about, okay, well, who do I want to be speaking to? Like, what's my message? What's the goal of me speaking to that person? What's my call of action to that audience? And going, okay, well, someone else can talk about electric vehicles and they're going to do it really well. Someone else is going to talk about policy, agricultural policy, and they're going to do it really well because they have passion there and they have expertise there. And I'm going to look after my little spot and I'm going to do it really well myself. Mm, that's I love that too because it can be, especially in the climate change space, it can be very overwhelming. There's, I mean, there's a million yeah. things you could be doing, but yeah. and I think that's beautiful that you just, just to focus on that one area that you can really make a big impact on. Absolutely. Yep. So just a couple more questions. Um, so what has helped, is there, is there any other like courses or anything else that's helped you that you could give, um, you know, suggestions for our listeners to about what they could maybe do? Like is there, I mean, I am addicted to doing online courses. It's a real issue. But are there any sort of leadership programs or other things that you would recommend for people to get experience? Mm. Yeah, there seems to be, and, you know, this is due to COVID mainly, so many courses coming online, so many webinars, so many masterclasses. So there's a lot out there. Um, one that I've just completed recently, which I love that I got so much out of, um, is by a group called Visibility Co. And they're also based in Victoria near Melbourne. And they did a, a three-month intensive masterclass on visibility. And visibility in three ways, visibility to self, visibility to others, and visibility to the cause. And what that means is visibility to self is, okay, well, what do you stand for? What are your values? You know, um, it's, it's knowing yourself first, mm -hmm. knowing yourself completely about what you want to achieve, um, who you are, um, what, what are your time and energy constraints? Where do you want to actually invest the, that time and energy that you have? Visibility to others is, okay, well, how, do, how does the world actually view you? Are you actually telling the story you're, you're trying to tell? Well, are they hearing the story that you're trying to tell? Are they seeing you as you want to be seen? And so that's, you know, really looking at, okay, well, how do you better your message? Um, you know, what platforms are you using? Uh, are you reaching the right audience? Or, you know, are you speaking to the wrong group of people when you're trying to achieve such and such? And then visibility to cause is, okay, well, the, the issues that I'm working on and passionate about is climate change and food security. 
So how do I highlight other people, other organisations, this topic at large? How do I amplify this cause at large to people? And it's a fantastic course. Anyway, so Visibility Co, amazing organisation. Um, yeah, definitely oh. look at that up. Sounds awesome. I'm going to look that one up for sure. It sounds amazing. Um, I love that. And we always like to finish with, I was just going to, I don't know if I told you I was going to ask you this, but on the spot kind of like just one thing that you are loving at the minute that you, you know, it's just your, I don't, it can be a book, a movie, anything, just something that you're loving at the moment. I'd love to hear something or, you know, it can be in line with climate change or a, you know, inspirational podcast. We love podcasts, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you probably got heaps of things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always like that. There's like 50 things and you think, oh, gosh, can I just think of one? <laughs> um, okay, things that I'm loving. Okay, well, first podcast, um, Sustainababble is an awesome one. It's oh. by a, a, an English comedy duo and they talk everything about sustainability but in a really like light-hearted you know making fun of the doom and gloom but then always that but then also going hey but look at this good stuff that's happening and anyway I love people you yeah you should get on that podcast Anika <laughs> But I love that interpretation of science in like new and different ways and like, you know, being creative, like with the story. Mm. So Sustainababble is a great one. Uh, there's also one, um, Outrage and Optimism, which is a really good climate environment policy one too. Also beautiful panel discussion, really great interviews. That's great. Um, what else? We had some rainfall recently and there's greenery on the ground and there are wildflowers. And I went for a walk this morning and I saw about 200 cockatiels flying around and it was gorgeous. So I love it after rain when the, when the, I don't know, the farm just comes back to life. So I love that. And I think that's a lovely place to finish. And I, I just, I can't thank you enough. Anika. it's just been so, I could talk to you all day. And you yeah. and I I'm sure will have hopefully have lots more conversations. Um, and it's just been, I'm so grateful for your time and for sharing all of that with us. Now, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to go and look you up and follow you and like just tell us where they should go to yeah track you down. Sure. So I've got a website, so www.anikamorsworth.com. Uh, I'm on pretty much all the social media platforms, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so find me there, reach out. I'm happy to have a chat with anyone. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, these days you can just Google your name and you'll pop up everywhere. Yeah. That's sure. So, and I will link to all those things in the show notes anyway. But thank Amazing. you so much for joining me today. And um, yeah, you. I can't wait to chat again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Anika. Thank you. Thanks.